I'm an entrepreneur by birth, probably, and I grew up in a farming family, so we were used to doing uh, lots of things for ourselves, and I think that probably carried through into my the life that I now live. Started out in the commercial banking business and spent eight years doing that, and then I left that and started an investment banking company, which we really acted as the middleman in deal situations. After eight or ten years in the investment banking business, we began to buy a deal or two. And so over the last uh, 20 or 30 years, we've purchased a company here, there. Our approach is to grow it, treat our employees fairly, serve them well, uh, run the business with excellence, and be a good steward of the resources God's given us. After a number of years, probably 10 years, owning our own business, we had become more financially successful than I ever thought I would. I began to realize that while I had that financial success, I still wasn't satisfied. Deb and I both grew up in homes that were very generous, so we understood generosity from a very early age. When we became married, we wanted to carry that on. That was probably in our DNA, generosity. But I think for the first few years of our lives, we were really, uh, I would say I was a 90-10 guy. I wanted to make a lot of money so that my 10% to God was a big number. Well, you can imagine what I had planned for the 90%. And thanks to a couple of old, older mentors that came alongside of me and really guided me along, they opened my eyes up to this whole concept of stewardship. It really means we're just the managers. We don't really own anything. So when you understand that, it puts a whole new spin and a whole new context on how you live life. I think we began to uh, learn these concepts and came home and applied them to our lives. Uh, we experienced the joy of giving. Several years ago, we were in an acquisition mode and we came on an opportunity to build industrial seating. It had some, some of the same technology we were using in our other business, so we thought it would be a good fit. And it's a fairly straightforward process and somewhat labor-intensive. This uh, analogy that you should have a generous life, and life is an acrostic, L-I-F-E. It stands for you should be generous with your labor, you should be generous with your influence, you should be generous with your financial resources, and you should be uh, generous with your expertise. When we understood that, I began to look at our businesses and say, these are, these are resources that God has given us, and how can we use them not only to create treasure, but to create uh, social capital and spiritual capital. God really convicted me that generosity is much more than just writing a check. This was a new thing for us. We had never had a business in a prison before. The first time I went to the prison and heard those gates slam behind me, your heart skips a beat. You're like, this is for real. <laughs> it 
it, it's an unusual bunch of guys or inmates that we have working for us uh, at the prison. They're, uh, they've committed the worst crimes known to society. I ended up being an accomplice to uh, taking someone's life. I took someone's life who didn't deserve to be taken. I have a, a life sentence. The jury convicted me of second degree murder intentional. So I got 13 years and I've done six of it so far. It came to us that we needed a big vision for these guys to grab onto. The vision we cast for them was this. We want to have the best prison in the United States of America. They looked at me like I was some kind of a man from outer space. I, we thought he was crazy. <laughs> this guy, he's... <laughs> you know, at first, that's, that's what we thought, you know. Every couple of weeks, we have what we call a life lesson. It may be uh, how to be a good father. It may be uh, lessons on finance. Uh, it's lessons on relationships. In one of our life lessons, we uh, presented this whole concept of generosity and challenged them that we would match dollar for dollar any dollar that they gave to uh, one of a number of charities, and we gave them a list. It was amazing the amount of monies that these prisoners uh, gave to charity and what was probably even more fun is most of the charities that they gave to were charities that were that existed to help the victims of the crime that they committed. Not too long ago he was in our living area. You know I've never seen a volunteer do anything like that. He's come to church with us. He's come to banquets that we've had. You know he's, he's very involved and you can tell that he that he's invested Seeing the motivation they have to help you out, it makes you want to help other people out. You know, so he's proving to, to me and to the rest of us that, man, if you set your heart to something, if you really fight for it, and if, you know, you're focused on it, it can happen. Pete, I believe that his, he has a desire um, to see us succeed. And the most important thing I've learned through this journey of gen generosity uh, is the component of faith. Um, it's, it's all out of gratitude, and it all began with what Christ did for us. Wasn't that great, man? I am super excited today to be able to have my good friend Pete Oaks here with us today, and it's just super cool. Pete, so glad you're here. It's my privilege to be here. Thank you, Todd. Well, just to give you guys a little bit of backstory on how Pete and I met, uh, Pete and I were actually introduced by a common friend maybe a couple of years ago even, but it really wasn't until uh, this last summer at the Leadership Summit that was actually hosted at the Hutchison Correctional Facility where Pete and I really got acquainted. And when we were at the Leadership Summit that afternoon, uh, we ended up sitting by each other and just kind of talking all afternoon uh, about things that Pete was doing, uh, not only in business, but uh, at the prison. And so, man, as I sat there, I was just so inspired by uh, things he was sharing about the prison, about business, and particularly some of the things that he was sharing around uh, Christ-centered generosity. And so, man, I am really glad that he is here, and I'm excited to have Pete with us to really kind of break down uh, really some of the lessons he's learned that he's allowed God uh, to take up more and more territory uh, in his heart, especially through his giving. And so, Pete, 
As everybody just kind of saw uh, in the video, generosity is a big deal in your life. And so talk to us. I mean, why is generosity such a big deal to you? Yeah. You know, Todd, I think, um, as I said in the video, um, I think generosity is really caught, not taught. You can have the greatest sermons you want, (laughs) and it will inspire some of us. But I think when we see, as individuals, when we see generosity in action, it's, it's a very motivating thing. Uh, both Deb and I grew up in families who were very generous. My, uh, we weren't wealthy. My dad was a farmer. My mom was a school teacher. But uh, they demonstrated generosity in just so many ways. I think of a story. I was probably eight or nine years old, and it was a few days before Christmas. I was raised on a farm. And so I was in the workshop just building my thing. I'm a builder, and so I was trying to build stuff. I needed some wood. I went over to the corner, and there was a blanket. And I pulled that blanket back, and there was a brand-new, big radio flyer red wagon. You've seen the kind. even had the wood sides on it. Now, my radio flyer was probably 8 or 10 years old, secondhand. Wheels were about to fall off, bent up. And I thought, man, this is what I was so excited about my Christmas present that I was going to get. I felt guilty that I knew what I was going to get ahead of time. Anyway, Christmas Eve rolled around. Dad said, hey, Pete, let's go. Uh, I need some help. And so he went out the shop, and he went right over to the corner where the wagon was, pulled the thing back, and I thought, this is kind of unusual. And he said, I need you to help me take this to a family on the other side of town. And it was a very poor family. And I will tell you, I was heartbroken. It is some, like somebody had stabbed me right in the heart. And I tried not to show it. I got in the car with him. And in the wagon was a big box of uh, apples. We went to this family's house, and when we rolled the wagon in, there were seven or eight kids in this house, small house, <clears throat> poor, very poor family. The reaction of that family to that very simple gift I changed my life. I saw kids elated, and it changed my life. So I just think um, generosity is caught not taught. Amen. I've been fortunate to have a number of good friends. You know, in my 30s and 40s, have demonstrated generosity to to me also. And I would really, I I just think when you get in this, when you see generosity at work, the happiest people I know are the generous people. And I want to be like them. I want to be joyful. So... um, and I also think, you know, uh, I love that, that verse in First Timothy 6. Uh, it talks about being generous. And it says, you know, those of us who have things, we should give it and share it with others. And by doing so, we're literally laying up treasure in heaven. And from a very selfish perspective, you know, I, I want to have a good life in heaven. <laughs> so I want to lay up some things. And, and it's, while it's not the, the motivation... Right. Uh, I think it's important. And, and that's where it says, the last of that verse says, take hold of life that is really life by being generous. And that's where the life acrostic, your labor, your influence, your financial resources, and your expertise, I, I, pull, I hold on to that verse. And I think that's so important. Generosity is not just about writing a check. It's about giving your labor, mm. your influence, your, your check, write a check, financial resources, and your expertise. To me, that's so powerful. Pete, and especially I just love just the, the origin, really, of some of that generosity, that, that passing along that your mom and dad did to you yes. so that you'd really be able to have God's heart on this. And um, 
and it's carrying on. You're, you're passing on that legacy, and I, that's, that's certainly my hope and my heart for my own life. Yeah. One of the other concepts, Pete, that you've talked about kind of in our conversations that's been really uh, profound to me is this whole concept of flourishing. And uh, really a key catalytic I, uh, circumstance I know in your life around this uh, concept of flourishing was when you launched uh, your business in the, in the Hutchinson Correctional Facility. So talk to us a little bit really about uh, the experience of how God used uh, launching the business in the Hutchinson Correctional Facility really to see, help you see flourishing in, in a whole new way, in a whole new broader way. Yes. In 2005, we had a rapidly growing manufacturing company in Hutchinson, and we simply didn't have enough uh, civilian labor who wanted to work in manufacturing. So uh, we wound up putting our prison, we literally moved part of our business inside of the maximum security prison in Hutchinson. Uh, I went there because I was greedy. I needed labor. And I thought, uh, uh, the warden said, uh, we've got a lot of space for you. You can if you can figure out how to put your business in there, I've probably got four or 500 guys ready to work for you. And I thought, boy, this is perfect. Um, I can kind of make them pay for their, I'll work them hard, make them pay for their crimes, and they'll show up on time every day. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> um, I got in there, but within about 90 days, I realized that maybe the only difference between them and me is they got caught. Yeah. I'm being a bit facetious, but you know what I mean. Right. They, they were people that needed the, re, the redemption of Christ. Amen. And so, as I looked at that, a, a prison is a desert of human flourishing. And uh, I think in Genesis 2, 15 through 18, this is after creation, but before the fall. God really explains what flourishing is. And in verse, uh, Genesis 2, 15, God put man in the garden to work. And when you work, you're going to have the first thing you need, that's material provision food, clothing, shelter. The second thing, verse 18, it's not good for man to be alone. Uh, we need deep, authentic relationships. Second thing we need. The third thing, by the way, don't eat the fruit of that tree, because then you'll know the difference between good and evil. Uh, it's the first time God gave us a moral code. We call that economic, social, and spiritual capital. You need a good job, you need friends, you need Jesus, okay? So if you have those three, I think you're flourishing. Um, and we look at three states of being. You're poor, you have no friends, or you have no money, no friends, no Jesus. But if you're wealthy, and I would guess most of us in this room are wealthy by my de definition, um, you have enough money, you have a sufficient amount of friends, and you K-N-O-W, Jesus. You know Jesus, okay? Uh, I think the issue with wealth is it becomes insidious. Wealth is about gathering. And... We only just, we always just, once we get wealth, we just need a little bit more. Either through fear or through greed, we, we need just a little bit more. My dad used to talk to a guy, about, he used to talk about the big farmer where I used to live. He said, he doesn't want to own the whole county, he just wants to own the piece of ground next door. And that's like us, we just need a little more through fear or greed. But if we're going to move from wealth to flourishing, yep. um, I think we take our money and we don't gather it. The difference between wealth and flourishing is gathering versus scattering. I think if we're really going to flourish, we take our money and we give it away, whatever we, the excess that we have. We take our friends, and we don't just make more friends, but we, we go with our friends and we make an impact on society. We, 
We work on our families. We work in our communities. We do what it takes for the common good of our communities. And thirdly, we don't just know Jesus. We, we abide in him. We begin to share him. And I think this is um, really, really important uh, that we move from wealth, which is an ownership mentality, to flourishing, which is a stewardship mentality. Now, keep talking about that, Pete, because to me there's an, an important part in here, and you, you were really starting to scratch on it. In some of our other conversations, you talked about how you have to risk in order to flourish. Talk about that a little bit. Yes. Um, I'm an entrepreneur, so I, I'm not a, averse to risk, okay? Uh, particularly, let me put it this way. I'm not averse to economic risk. I am averse to social and spiritual risk. <laughs> right. <laughs> And um, I think if we're really going to flourish, we have to take risks. If you, if you look, uh, I think about the parable of the rich young ruler in Luke 12. Uh, this was a guy who said, uh, it's really the rich young entrepreneur. Uh, he had a great crop. He said, uh, gosh, I have so much, I, can't, I don't even have a place to store it. I know what I'll do. I'll tear my barns down. I'll build bigger barns. I'll eat, drink, and be merry. And what did Jesus say to him? You fool. Because tonight your life will be required of you. If we compare that person to the three servants in the parable of the talents, Matthew 25. Yep. Uh, you know that story. The master was going on a trip. He calls in three servants. He gave one five, one two, and one one. The, said the, 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 folk, the, the servants with the five and the two, they took it and put it immediately at, to work. They, when you put capital, economic, social, spiritual capital to work you're taking risk with it and so um i just think that's a that's a big thing that we we need to do we need to understand risk and along that line another conversation you and i had that really kind of shook me was you know you're a person obviously of resources and means but you've capped your salary <laughs> and honestly when you first told me that it it felt kind of weird and it seemed a little bit crazy at the same time. And so, uh, but the more that um, we talked, you begin to talk about why that you were doing that. And, and to me, as you talked about why you were doing it, then it resonated just so much with my soul. It just felt like Jesus. And then, and then how that you were leveraging yourself. So talk about uh, why you capture salary and, uh, and what God's kind of done kind of through that whole journey of doing that. Yeah. So that really... Um... That all kind of happened by accident. I was at a conference probably 30 years ago. It was a business conference, and it was a Christian business conference. And one of the speakers said, uh, if you're in business, uh, wealth is going to be your biggest downfall, and you need to ans answer the question, how much is enough? So after the talk, three or four of us entrepreneurs were standing outside, and we started asking each other, how much is enough? And um, we didn't have an answer for that. So we, we decided to meet a couple of months later, which we did, and we spent a weekend together to answer this question, how much is enough? We thought it was like a net worth number, okay? So after two days of wrangling around, we all agreed that we would state a number, and, if, and when we got to that number, we would give everything above that number away. So we kind of went around the room, and a guy said a million, another guy two million, another guy five million, whatever. Um, and... What we had done is we just simply looked at our lifestyle and we said, well, if I need to live on $50,000, when I get to a million dollars, 5% of a million dollars is 50 grand, I'll be happy, I'll give everything else away. Uh, but we all agreed that we'd come back and if we got over that number, we'd give it away. 
within a few years as we met, we had all gone through our numbers. The problem was that was all in our privately held companies, so it was tough to, to give away. And then somebody, some wise soul in the group said this, why is the first two million mine and everything else God's? Isn't it 100% God's and zero mine? And that was so freeing because what that allowed us to do is those of us who were in business, it freed us up to do what God had, give, had built us for, to build businesses and make money. And so we didn't have to limit that. But what it did was it forced us to say, ask the question, how much should I be paid to manage the assets God's given me? So at that point in time, we said we're going to freeze our lifestyles and just let our businesses do whatever they want. So what's happened over time then is this delta between a, 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 what we would try to live as middle-class lifestyle and what our business has done, this delta has created um, lots of great opportunities. And it's been amazing to see what's happened there. And I want to talk about that a little bit because as you shared that with me, to me when I begin to see if, if, if I can keep my lifestyle, you know, hold my lifestyle to a, a f more flatter level and begin to see that delta grow, and particularly you think about that, you know, the financial, social, and spiritual capital, um, the, in, the, in the impact that that delta can have, because now I'm kind of restraining myself, so to speak, so that my impact can be greater. So talk about some of those impact things, you know, particularly as it's it's woven itself into your business, Pete. You know, the impact spiritually. I know some of the conversations we've had, you've talked about how that you've uh, leveraged chaplains to make sure and champion that, that spiritual aspect of, of your business. And talk about, too, some of the things that then, because you've, you guys have maximized that delta, some of the social impact then you've had with your business as well. Talk about some of those things. Sure. So... Um... I used to think that uh, as a businessman, I needed to be a businessman, and I also needed to be kind of the chief minister in our business. And I was responsible for economic, social, and spiritual capital. Uh, I believe business is really the primary creator of economic capital. I believe the family is a primary creator of social capital, and I believe the church is a primary creator of uh, spiritual capital, okay? But I was trying to do all those things, and I was pretty good on the economic side, but I was messing everything else up. And so we, fired, we hired some professionals, some chaplains, to come into our business. And they, were not, uh, they weren't our employees, so our, our employees, our team members, could really share with them their problems. And um, we have seen amazing, amazing results. I will tell you, uh, we have about 1,400 folks that work for us. Last quarter, we had 2,200 of those people engage our chaplains in confidential conversations. Mm -hmm. We had uh, over, a little over 200 conversations about Christ, sharing the gospel, and we had seven people come to Christ. Mm -hmm. So this platform of business, I think, is so much more powerful than just make, when, you, when you say it's not just about making money. It's about creating this environment where you become family in the business, yep. social capital, and you share a a reason for for living that is greater than yourself with people it's a powerful thing that's cool talk about pete some of the social capital things that you've done in in the community i, re I remember one story you told me about uh down in honduras when you guys were launching a hydroelectric plant tell a little bit of, tell us talk to us a little bit about that yeah so essentially what we do is uh with the money that we have we make in our business we essentially take about 50 percent of it and keep it in the business we take 25 percent of that and share it with our team members as bonuses 
and so they feel like they're actually owners of the business. And then we take about 25% and give that away. And so we, the 25% we give away, we invest in social and spiritual capital projects. Right. So uh, we started a seminary in the prison over at Hutch. Uh, we've got 23 men in that now, and, and those men are changing uh, that prison. We offer about 15,000 hours of online training. You can get a lean man, you can get a black belt in lean manufacturing. You can get a take fathering classes, uh, whatever. We've uh, we've built, I think, uh, we've built rebuilt three churches in Honduras. We started the seminary down there. Um, we will will uh, we provide the engineering and the material to re, to electrify a village in Honduras that might not have it. We ask them to provide the labor, but then we partner with them by providing the engineering, the material. We've redone several water systems in several villages. So when, when you lead with economic capital, and then you follow with social capital, really making good friends with people, the doors to spiritual capital fly open. Amen. And I think it's the parable of the Good Samaritan. Um, the pastors, says in the parable of the Good Samaritans. Um, the guy was laying in the ditch about to die, and the priest and the Levites came along, they walked around the guy, and they said, if he'd just get Jesus, everything would be fine. And what did the Good Samaritan do? He picked him up, he took him to the hotel, and he took care of him. Yeah. And so I think particularly those of us in business, and you don't have to own a business to do this. You can just be in business. Um, economically treat people fairly. Love them as you love yourself socially. And we found the doors to Jesus fly right open. To me, that's so cool. Yeah. But in the end, though, Pete, you're still taking risks to do some of that. Because in the end, our, our gravity of our own hearts, our gravity in business, everything else is to keep everything for ourselves. But yes. in, the, in, the, in the end, you're risking some of those uh, social and spiritual capital things um, in particular. Another story that you told me that I, I love in terms of just this whole concept of risks, because we've... Uh, you know, kept our, our lifestyle managed, so to speak, and, it, and then we can leverage that delta, it creates that opportunity to risk again. And, and I love the story that you, you told in terms of risking some things financially, particularly in the area of giving, and, and, um, and, and how your wife was a little bit a part of that journey. Talk to us yes, a little bit about yeah. that. So, um, you know, I think if you, if you make a commitment, God's going to get you there one way or another, okay? He's going to get you there voluntarily or involuntarily. <laughs> and uh, this was a number of years ago. Deb and I were involved in several ministries that just kind of all of them needed uh, a, a large amount of money to kind of keep going and flourishing. And uh, we had uh, this little portfolio of companies, and Deb came to me and said, you know, Pete, I think you need to sell this company, and that will just give us some money, and we can just kind of help these folks out. And wouldn't you know, the company she picked was the one that was the easiest to run and made the most money. <laughs> and uh, so she and I had a, uh, a um, vigorous discussion over the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> and she won. <laughs> and um, so Monday morning, uh, there were a couple of people that, a couple of companies that actually wanted to buy one, this, one of these companies. So I called them, I said, I'm going to sell the company, and this is the price I want, and if you want to do that, give me your offers in. So uh, within a week, I had two offers, one for cash and one for stock. They wanted to swap the stock in their company for my company, and I needed the cash, so I did not take that deal. I took the cash deal. 
Uh, we signed the contract in a couple of weeks and we're going down the road. A week after we signed the contract, this particular business happened to be in the, uh, in the medical business and about 90% of our revenues came from Medicare, from the government. A week after we signed the contract, Congress passed a 40% reduction in our reimbursement rates. The company that bought us went bankrupt a year and a half later. And so it was a, it was a huge lesson to say, Pete, take some risk. And Pete, listen to your wife. <laughs> so, and, and let me just encourage you all. Most of you aren't business owners and, and have that kind of thing. But you can take risk, okay? Um, let's talk about economic risk. Um, in the next 30, 45 minutes, they're probably going to ask, give you the opportunity to give, to, give something to God. Uh, I once had a guy tell me, he said, Pete, if you really want to take some risk, when you're, when you're giving to God, add a zero to whatever you're doing on the check. If you're going to write a check for 50 bucks this morning, take some risk. Add a zero to it. Make that for 500. And if that's too much for you, maybe just double it up. But take, take some economic risk somehow. Socially, you know, um, March Madness is coming up. And we always have a lot of parties, a Super Bowl, whatever. What, what do we do? We always just invite our friends in. Why don't you invite some non-Christian friends in and let them see how Christians party. Make, let's, let's go deeper with people who don't look like us, who don't act like us. Amen. Amen. And spiritually, do you know somebody who needs Jesus? When's the last time you told somebody the good news? I had a, I had a college roommate, um, and I'd known him for 47 years. And he was a good friend, and we talked about God a lot. Uh, uh, a year ago, he called me, and um, he said, Pete, I retired, and I'm sitting out on my deck looking o- over the Blue Ridge Mountains, and I think you may be right. There may be a God, and I'm going, oh, boy, this is interesting because two weeks before, I'd met with another roommate of mine. We were talking about this guy, and I said to myself, I've got to call Judd, Judd up and just say, hey, where are you with Jesus? But I, had, I was afraid to do that. He calls me. And for 45 minutes, I am discussing the, the theological implications of God, okay? And I look down at my phone, and I have 2% battery left. And I'm thinking to myself, I've got to close the deal. And I didn't want to close the deal. But I said, I looked at that, and I said, Jed, um, where are you going to spend eternity? And he goes, I don't know. How do I know? I shared Jesus with him, and he came to Christ in the next three minutes. What? Yeah, I, I just think, um, just take some risks, folks. That's all. I'm just, I'm just, we're too, uh, the number one question they ask, uh, they ask people in an old folks' home, if you were going to change life, if you're going to do something different in your life, what would it be? 84% of them say, I wish I would have taken more risk. Yeah. Amen. I'm just going to encourage you. Give more money, make more friends, share more Jesus. Amen. I love that. Yeah. Make more money, give away more money, make more friends, share yeah. Jesus more. To exactly. me, that's just, and that, like I said, right out of the parable of the talents, more or less, yes. you know, in many, so many ways. Exactly. The other thing, Pete, that you talked about in some of our conversations that I love was your journey uh, really from selfishness to surrender. 
And, and so talk to us a little bit about that journey, the really the rise of your business career, and then ultimately how that affected your whole approach to, to giving. Sure. So I think the world's calling us to what I would call success. Um, and I think success is defined in 1 John 2, 15, 16. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father's not in. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, possessions, the lust of his eyes, pleasure, and the boasting of what he has and does, pride, comes not from the Father but from the world. It says everything in the world. Think of the last sin you committed, and I bet it falls into one of these situations. <laughs> pride, pleasure, possessions, okay? That's success. That's what the world's calling us to do. Jesus, on the other hand, is calling us to surrender. And the way we get from here to here is Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So to move from this calling of success to this calling of surrender takes lots of faith. Here is my problem. Um, up until the... I, I, I am... I don't mess around with success much more. I, I've been there, I've done that, it just doesn't worry me. I'm really working hard to be surrendered. My problem is I'm in this middle of what I call significance. I, I, I put one foot in the world and I put one foot in the kingdom, okay, because it's comfortable for me. I, I don't mess around choosing, choosing success, pursuing success, holding on tightly to the things that Pete created. I'm pretty good at holding lightly, significantly, to the things that God has allowed me to have and say, Lord, if you want to use them, use them. But I think what God's calling us to is surrender. Let's take everything he's given us, put them on the table, be all in. That is really, really hard. My, I'm really good at being significant. My, my concern personally for myself is that this is what God says about significance, Revelation 3.15. Um, I wish you were either cold or hot, and, but you were lukewarm. You're significant. And I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. That's, that is a fear of mine. I'm going to be spit out of his mouth because I want to be significant instead of surrendered. Man, Pete, I think that's where so many of us live. I feel that in my own soul. I feel that in my own soul that in, in the end, I, I kind of I want what God wants. I want to hold on to what I have lightly, but I'm, but I'm too afraid to really surrender. But all those moments that we surrender, that's, that's where we experience exactly what you were talking about in 1 Timothy chapter 6, where we experience the life that's truly life. Yes. And so uh, that to me is where, you know, where God takes more and more territory in our hearts, then that's when we begin to surrender. That's when we begin to experience that life that's truly yeah. life. And that's what the church is about. We should come, the church should, um, Hebrews ten twenty four. let us consider how to spur each other on towards love and good deeds. Yeah. Let us not give up meeting a sermon they have As a church and as friends, we need to come together and poke each other a little bit and say, hey, let's, let's live surrendered lives. Yeah. It's tough, but we've got to try and do it. Amen. Yeah. Let's get a little bit practical, Pete. Um, you know, obviously, you know, sometimes, you know, I know I can imagine, I'm, sometimes I feel a little bit myself, you know, I don't have as many resources as, you know, a person like you in some of the circles that you run in. But what would you say kind of at a very practical level that you've learned over time um, in your life that, uh, has, that anybody could apply in terms of just really growing in this, this journey of generosity? What would you say to them? Sure. Um, 
So the question is, how do we be generous, all right? And um, there's economic, social, and spiritual generosity. We all have the same amount of time. Whether you're rich or poor economically, we all have the same 24 hours. So we're all poor from a time perspective, but we need to make sure we give God his due there. Um, Spiritually, we just need to be, uh, we just need to be bold, I believe. Economically, the way Deb and I look at economics is we've, we've capped our lifestyle so we know where we are. Uh, and then whatever money we have left to give, uh, sometimes that, that becomes a dilemma because uh, we all have a lot of people asking us to be generous yeah. and to support their causes. So what Deb and I do is very simply, we have three buckets. We have what we call a spontaneous bucket, and it probably takes about... 10 or 15% of our total giving dollars are in this spontaneous bucket. Deb's in charge of that. Uh, anybody that comes up, we don't even think about it. If we like them, we just write them a check for five bucks, 100 bucks, whatever it might be. Spontaneous. All we give is money. The second bucket is our, uh, it's really an encouragement bucket. So it's we're giving to money who are, we're giving money to our friends, uh, typically missionaries, okay? It's a little larger amount that we give and we give to, we give not only money, but we also give some time and encouragement to them. And then the third bucket is really the churches in our third bucket uh, and a couple of other ministries. We give time, talent, and treasure to that. It's a bigger amount, but then we kind of look at our budget and we kind of see where we're going. That also allows us and helps us to figure out who to give to. I would really encourage you just, what are you passionate about? Because I think if if you give not only your money, but you give your time and your talent, um, you will get much more joy and much more benefit out of whatever you do, giving-wise. Pete, talk to us about, um, just in a, in a broad brush, maybe what things you did with your family to be able to pass on. You know, your mom and dad passed on just this biblical truth and value of being generous. Yeah. Um, talk to us about what you did in your own family to be able to pass on that to your kids. Sure. I think the best thing we did with our family, and we learned this from other people who had gone before us, but uh, our, when our kids were, when our daughter was 10 and our son was 12, we began to have uh, annual family meetings. So we just, uh, every Thanksgiving, we'd get the family together and we called it the family meeting. And we would show them our financial position in life. We, showed, we told them uh, if mom and dad died, this is how much you were going to get and this is how much you weren't going to get. And... Um, we would just talk through where we were. And then we said, this is, our, this is what we're going to give as a family this year. So we treated our, our family generosity not as just something Deb and I did, but um, we brought our kids in. In fact, we actually took you know, a few hundred dollars, and it wound up being you know, several thousand ultimately, that we would put in their donor-advised fund and let them give it away however they wanted to give it away. Uh, and that was really fun. And your kids, you'll, you'll find out, like our daughter gave, she had $1,000, she gave $100 to 10 different ministries. My son gave the whole 1000 bucks to, to somebody. And then we made them come back every, every year on Thanksgiving and report what that money they gave to that particular ministry did. I will tell you, here's one other little trick that Deb and I do. Anytime we kind of get into the encouragement bucket or the investment bucket, uh, 
one of us will say, hey, what do you think about giving to this ministry? So we say, let's pray about that for a week or two. At some point in time, a couple weeks in the future, what we do is we, we have a meeting of the minds. And the way we have a meeting of the minds, we each take a piece of paper, and when we say, do we want to give or not? And let's say, yes, we're going to give to that. We each write down a number on that piece of paper. And I will tell you, 90% of the time, it's dollar for dollar. Wow. Now, maybe that's just because we're so, we've been married to each other for so long, and we know <laughs> each other so good that it's easy. But I really think it's a way that God confirms that the two of you together as a family Amen. can give. Yeah. That's awesome. So, Pete, if there's one thing that you could say to the people of Pathway Church just about this kind of this whole area of generosity. I mean, we're on a journey right now. We're trying to put some gas on the flames of our heart to be able to grow our hearts so that God would have more and more territory in our heart. Uh, what would you say to us? Yeah. Start. Start. You, you may already be generous in your mind but start to be more generous. Just start. If you're not giving anything, give a little. If you're giving a lot, give more. Just start doing better. And the reason we should do that is Jesus gave us his, he was generous with his son. Can we not be generous with our labor, our influence, financial resources, and our expertise? Amen. Amen. That's awesome. Well, Pete, as we're kind of closing up our conversation, what I thought would be super cool today is for you to pray for us. You bet. We, we want to look more like Jesus. We want to have God take up more and more territory in our heart uh, so that in the end that we could experience, we could be all God wants us to be in, the, in our leg of the race and that we could experience, you know, just like what First Timothy 6 says, we could experience that life that's truly life that he, had, he has for all of yeah. us. So would you pray for us, brother? I'd love to do that. Thank you. you Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the generosity you shared to us and showed to us with your son Jesus. Lord, we are grateful beyond measure for that. Lord, I pray that uh, we would all understand the cost of that generosity to you. So, Father, as we understand that, I would pray that we could uh, die to ourselves, so we could be crucified to ourselves and that we could live for you, that we would become people that would be risk takers uh, with, our, with our money, with our friends, and with the good news that you've given us. Lord, thank you so much for this church. Thank you for what they do, the, for the light that they are in this community. I would pray that you would put their, your hand on it, that you would bless them, that you would um, shine your, your face of goodness uh, on them. And so just thank you for this time, and Lord, uh, we pray these things in your great and gracious name. Amen. Amen. Would you give Pete a hand again? Thanks so much, brother. Thanks. You're good. You're awesome. You're good. You're good.